Our faith focuses us on Jesus and helps us to look past the conditions of life, especially in troubled times, to be who God calls us to be. Hi, I'm Fami Asabin, a preacher in the Church of Christ. And in today's sermon, The Focus of Faith, we will analyze Hebrews 11 and the examples of faithful people and the situations they overcame through their faith to help build our faith. Hopefully, this sermon recalls the victories God granted us as we not only consider the biblical examples, but also remember what we overcame by our faith. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Indeed, by faith our ancestors received approval By faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was made from things that are not seen. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain's. Through this, he received approval as righteousness, God himself giving approval to his gifts. He died, but through his faith, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken so that he did not experience death, and he was not found because God had taken him. For it was attested before he was taken away that he had pleased God, and without faith it is impossible to please God. For whoever would approach him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith Noah, warned by God about events as yet unseen, respected the warning and built an ark to save his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir to the righteousness that is in accordance with faith. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to set out for a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he set out not knowing where he was going. By faith he stayed for a time in the land he had been promised, as in a foreign land, living in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked forward to the city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith he received power of procreation, even though he was too old and Sarah herself was barren, because he considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one person... And this one, as good as dead, descendants were born, as many as the stars of heaven and as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. All of these died in faith without having received the promises, but from a distance they saw and greeted them. They confessed that they were strangers and foreigners on the earth, for people who speak in this way make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of the land they had left behind, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. Indeed, he has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when he was put to the test, offered up Isaac. He who had received the promises was ready to offer up his only son of whom he had been told, it is through Isaac that descendants shall be named for you. 
He considered the fact that God is able even to raise someone from the dead, and figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked blessings for the future of Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave instructions about his burial. By faith, Moses was hidden by his parents for three months after his birth because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called a son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to share ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered abuse suffered for the Christ to be greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking ahead to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, unafraid of the king's anger, for he persevered as through he saw him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith the people passed through the Red Sea as if it were dry land, but when the Egyptians attempted to do so, they were drowned. By faith the walls of Jericho fell after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had received the spies in peace. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched raging fire, escaped the edge of the sword, won strength out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, Women received their dead by resurrection. Others were tortured, refusing to accept release in order to obtain a better resurrection. Others suffered mockings and floggings and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned to death. They were sawn in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, persecuted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. Yet all these, they were commended for their faith, did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better so that they would not, apart from us, be made perfect. When we hear about this cloud of witnesses before us, it's hard to imagine that the things that they did through faith was easy for them. It talks about difficult circumstances that they had to go through, but those circumstances were overcome because they had faith. And it's that faith that, faith that focused them on God, the author of that faith. When you read Hebrews, 
you will quickly learn that one of the purposes of the book is to teach deeper levels of faith, but the another purpose of the book is to focus one on Jesus, the focus of our faith. So you read passages such as Hebrews 1, verse 1 and 2. A summation of what has been taught in the first seven chapters reads, Now the main point of what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister in the sanctuary and the true tent that the Lord and not any mortal has set up. Jesus, the true priest, is in heaven, residing in the temple with God, which was shadowed, foretold, in the temple set up through Moses in the wilderness, which pointed to Christ, which Hebrews is getting us to focus on as well. Understanding that Jesus Christ was greater than what Moses established in the desert and that now that we have Jesus Christ, we have a greater covenant because we have a priest who was forever reigning with God who only needed to sacrifice one time for the forgiveness of our sins. Or as he says in the 10th chapter, starting at verse 19, Therefore, my friends, since we have confidence to enter the sanctuary by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through this curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us approach with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who has promised is faithful. And let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. For if we willfully persist in sin after having received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful prospect of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. You see, we have this Jesus who is sitting with God who has made a sacrifice for us who we are to put our faith in which compels us to live a certain way with the hopeful expectation that our faith will be rewarded. And that reward that we will receive is the same reward that Abraham is living in anticipation for that he hasn't received. Moses, Enoch, David, all of these men in the Bible, these women in the Bible, such as Rahab, such as Deborah, 
Even Mary, the one whom Jesus came through, are waiting for God to bring a culmination to history which we all will receive heaven at the same time. And that is our hope that we have a better residence than the one that we have now, which causes us to focus on the Christ, the Jesus, who is bringing us there. Faith helps us see the unseen because we focus on the one who everything was created through. Jesus Christ. As I was going through that list of faithful people in chapter 11, one thing kind of stuck out to me. All of the names that had a caveat, a story, a description, a demonstration of their faith except for Abel were all pilgrims living in anticipation, going into the promised land. They had not received it yet, almost like us. So Abraham, Isaac, Joshua, Moses, Noah, all were living, looking for a different place to reside where God was providing for them. Noah, through the flood, received the promised land, per se, where he was going. He had to leave the wicked world. Abraham, leaving his father's house, went to the promised land, didn't even get to stay there. He saw it, but he had to leave where he was from to get what God was giving him. The same with the other patriarchs. And then you think of Moses. He had to leave Egypt go into the wilderness and there's something about this leaving what we're comfortable in this life that we have become accustomed to this place that we're looking forward to living that compels us to be who God wants us to be where we are at you see we want to leave here we want to go where God is, but in getting and going and receiving that residence there, we have to be a people that's looking at it through the lens of faith. Because we cannot get there except through death. Heaven's not a place that we're going to walk in in this flesh. It's a place that we're going to inherit in our spirit. And even if we are still alive when Jesus comes back, we will be transformed so that we can enter it and it won't be in our present state. That's a comforting and to some level discomforting notion. Comforting in the fact that God has somewhere for us. God is going to ensure that we receive heaven and death isn't going to prohibit us or our loved ones from being there. 
also in the fact that we won't miss out on it and God is going to bring everybody there together and we will inherit this heavenly promise with all of these people whom we read about in the Bible who we are encouraged by because of their faith that they demonstrated that God saw fit to leave behind as record for us to instill faith in him, we will get heaven with them and not going to miss out on anything that God has to offer. The discomforting notion is we're going to have to die. And dare I say, we're going to have to have two deaths. One of a physical nature and the other of a more personal nature. We're going to have to die to ourselves so that we can live for Christ. We're going to have to die from this, in this body so that we can be transformed in the spirit to be with Christ. But that's okay because when we focus on Jesus Christ, we see that what's difficult for us is easy for God. But we have to go through some things in this life. And so as we read through this list, we're reminded of some of the struggles that these faithful people of God had to endure. Abraham, when he's called by God, what happens? There is a famine in the land that he has to trust God through two times. Abraham is under the authority of some kind of king and he plays a trick, tells a lie, and says to his wife, tell the king you're my sister. But he has to struggle through living in this world and the dangers that it presents to get the promises that God is giving him. You think about Jacob, where he flees to his father-in-law and he has to work 14 years for his wife and at one point he is deceived in the work that he does, he's not rewarded properly. So he says, I've worked 20 years for you, Laban, and you have changed my wages 10 times. But God has kept me. You think about Moses, how he, leaving Egypt, lived in the wilderness because, as it says, he saw it more profitable to live for Christ than to live under the Pharaoh and live as the Pharaoh's daughter. But he also had to struggle with the hard-headed people for 40 years who were disobedient, who were unfaithful, and who were stiff-necked, as the Bible says, and lead those people in the ways of God. Or David, who the Bible presents the flaws that he had in his numbering the people, in his, his killing Uriah for his wife. These people struggled with things in the flesh, but still are waiting for the promise of God. 
that tells us that this life is not going to be easy. But our faith will be rewarded. And I think about this day and age. Well, we have all of these things that challenges us in our faith. I'm not even thinking about the virus that is out that's challenging people in church attendance because it's deeper than that. But we think about all of the attacks of Satan. It causes us not to be faithful. The, the variances of messages that are presented as godly messages that without an understanding of the Bible seem to be valid. The reason we have all of these denominations. We think about all of the philosophies, the teachings in this life that cause us to dedicate ourselves to something other than Christ that makes us miss out on the promise. We think about the hard times, the evil in this world, and it reminds us of Noah, how everybody in the world set on wickedness, on violence. And you try to maintain your Christianity, and you have to suffer through it. So you have people taking advantage of you. You have to worry about being robbed, being beaten, being scammed out of your money, being ridiculed for being a Christian. And you have to live in the world to where people count you as an enemy because you're trying to live righteous. And for those of lesser faith, it's easier to acquiesce to the world. It's easier to go along with the culture. It's easier to renounce being faithful, to avoid being ridiculed by some even in their own family. Dare I say some even in congregations that they attend because they want to do what God is calling all men to. Because when you think about it and you read this list of people who were faithful to God, one has to acknowledge that some of these people that is referenced these prophets that are touched upon, these judges, they were being faithful in the midst of God's unfaithful people. And yet their faith is what kept them, not the fact that they were considered God's people, but their faith in God kept them and brought them to the promise that we all will receive on judgment day. But to get through all of those trials, those tribulations, those distractions in life, they have to focus on God. We have to focus on Christ, meaning we have to learn how to turn down the volume of the world, to set our attention on the things of God, no matter what is going on in life. So, if you have problems, 
You have to learn how to ignore that and still see Jesus through it. If you're having difficulties in relationships with people, you have to love them and see how Christ loved us so that you're not jaded and lose out on the promised land. Because this is something that we learn through the example given of Moses. He allowed God's people to cause him to dishonor God in front of them. So God said, you won't enter the promised land we know physically. He got to see it. But it teaches us that if we allow others to impact us to where we do not honor God because we lose focus of who God is, of who Jesus is, and we dishonor him in front of people because of how people act, we could lose out on the promise. But what keeps us is the promise. And these hard times, as one passage says, is, is discipline. Listen how, how in Hebrews 12, he goes on to help us to focus on these difficulties to understand what it is that we're actually being challenged by. Starting at verse 1. In reference to the list of people mentioned in chapter 11, he says, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross, disregarding his shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such hostility against himself from sinners so that you may not grow weary or lose heart in your struggle against sin. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And you have forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as children. My child, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord or lose heart when you are punished by him. For the Lord disciplined those whom he loves and chastises every child whom he accepts. Endure trials for the sake of discipline. God is treating you as children. For what child is there whom a parent does not discipline? Two thoughts in there that I really want us to take a hold on. The first one is Jesus, for the sake of the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. What was that joy? reigning on the right hand of God, fulfilling God's purpose for him, and bringing those created by God to an eternal salvation. That was the joy, and he endured the suffering of the cross to get that. It's not an easy thing. And as we think about enduring trials, look at verse 7, that first, that first sentence in it, Endure trials for the sake of discipline. Endure trials for the sake of discipline. So the hard things that we have to work through, endure, that we have to go through, 
look at that as discipline. It's not always that it's a punishment. It's not always that the hard things that we suffer through are always a result of I've sinned and this is God paying me back. No. What it is is this is disciplining you. The things that you have to struggle through, work through, that is to teach you what to truly focus on. To bring you to an appreciation of the joy that you will receive after the hard time. So we think about in a worldly standpoint, when you work overtime and you're tired and you don't want to be there. But what's compelling you? In your mind, you're saying, this is double time. This is time and a half. When I get my check, I'm going to get paid extra. So I'm willing to go through this hard time right now so that on payday, I will have a greater reward because I endured the hard time. I worked a little bit more. Or you think about if you're gaining a new skill. And when you first do it, you don't, you're not that good at it. But you keep practicing and it consumes some of your time and, and it's difficult at first. But eventually you get to a point to where you're real good and people sometimes might even give you praise because of the talent that you have gained through the endurance of the hard times with it. Or as the Hebrew writer is more pointedly talking about is in our walk with God. The hardships that we have to face. The struggles that we encounter with others and with ourselves. The things that we have to overcome and do that because that is God disciplining us to make us more fit for his purposes. So it might be something like we have to struggle through our giving and get to the point to where we still give even when we don't consider ourselves to have a lot of money. We have to struggle through church attendance and we still go even though we think that we could be doing something better during this time. We have to struggle through loving people even though we find that we don't personally like somebody, we still make a decision to do right by them because that's what God tells us. We have to struggle through a lot of things, but that is discipline for us to be more godly. And how do we get there? You don't look at the present moment. You look at the end result. Abraham, leave your father's house. He's not looking at the comfort of the present moment. He's listening to the call of God, and he sees the promise that God is going to give him. Moses, tell Pharaoh, let my people go. Moses is not looking at the fact, he starts off for a brief second, but he's not looking at the fact that he's heavy-tongued, that he is a nobody in Pharaoh's eyes, 
but he's trusting in the call that God gave him and trusting in the powers, the abilities that God has endued him with to carry out the task. David, you will be king. He's not focused on the fact that he's a shepherd boy, the youngest of eight. Or the fact that Saul is constantly chasing him in the wilderness. He sees what God is giving him because he believed what God told him. And each and every person in this list in chapter 11 had to struggle through, focus on a promise, a word to receive what God was giving them. And the deeper promise that they are still waiting to receive is the same promise that we have. We will inherit an eternal kingdom, an eternal home with Christ after we die. You see, we're looking, we're living for a, a place whose maker is God. And to get there, we must truly focus on Christ. And to do that, we must confront this question. In the depth of the question, not in the surface level. But do we truly believe in Jesus? Do we believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Do we believe that Jesus Christ came, died, was risen and sits at the right hand of God and is established as the king and he is the high priest and that is whom is our Lord and that who dictates the standard of life. Do we truly believe that? Because if we don't believe that, then it's going to make it hard to focus on him and to accept enduring hardships for the name of Christ. And a good way to see if we truly believe is when our faith is tested, what is our go-to answer? Do we do things that make us comfortable in this life? Or do we endure the, the trials the discipline that causes us to put our hope in the next life. Do we make decisions that are focused on now or after death? That tells if we truly believe that Jesus Christ is our Lord. Because as a Hebrew writer has gotten to this point in his his writing, he has already professed that we have gone on from milk. We have already accepted the elementary teachings of the faith. We already are established on repentance. We're already established on baptism 
Now, the deeper question that we must ask is, what does it mean that Jesus Christ is Lord? And is that evidenced in our life? If God was to compel somebody to write uh, another letter encouraging fellow Christians utilizing members of the body of Christ in this region, would he consider putting our examples of our lives in that letter? Would we find something that we have done worthy of being mentioned as enduring through for the cause of Christ? Can we look back on our lives and see where our faith was tested and that test of faith was answered by trusting in God even when it didn't make sense? You see, what are we focused on would tell us that. Are our actions determined by this life or the next life? Are our energies put towards establishing roots in this world or establishing roots in heaven? Are we building up our spiritual bank account so that when we get to heaven, we will cash in on all of the riches that God has for us because we did not seek the riches of this life. It's difficult. It's hard. Because that causes us to trust in what's not seen. But we have a God who is going to bring about his eternal reward for us. How do we see hardships? Do we see that hardships as woe is me? Do we see the things that we have to suffer through as God is not considering my life and God has forsaken me, forgotten about me, and I only have it like this because I'm not loved by the Christ who came and died? Or do we see that as an opportunity to deepen our faith? Do we see that as a test almost? As a chance to grow, a chance to see what is really important, and a chance to divorce ourselves from this world. Because when we find ourselves too comfortable in this life, it makes it hard to leave. That's why Jesus says it's, it's hard for a man who's rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because he is comfortable in this life. He has done things to establish, to root himself in this world, and he has found pleasure in the flesh, and that's what he is focused on. So one thinks about Lazarus and the rich man. The rich man lives scrumptuously. And if you think about it, the scraps that he had could feed the dogs, so I'm pretty sure he could have made a plate for Lazarus. But that wasn't his concern. His concern was embellishing himself in his luxuries. And while we might not consider ourselves rich at an American standard, we're rich in the worldly standard. There are some people who live off less than $1 a day. 
and we'll go spend that on candy. There are some people who don't have shoes on their feet, and we have multiple pairs. And there's sometimes that we're so focused on this life and making sure that we're comfortable that it causes us not to look at the Christ who's calling us not to be so comfortable here. But that takes us focusing on the next life. What are your sights on? Are you enduring hardships? Because those hardships distill your faith. When you go through those difficult times that's supposed to call you to trust in God, to look to God as your only way out and not any other source, not even your own strength. Because through it, God is molding you into who he wants you to be. And so, my last question that I want to pose to you is, what has God brought you through? Just by the simple fact that you were born, you have had some difficult times. You have had tough situations, hard circumstances that you had to face. In facing them, did you rely on God or did you rely on some other method? And as you look back over the episodes in your life, can you witness how God was bringing you through to trust him? I'm not going to, but I could sit here and tell you how just looking back, I couldn't tell you looking forward, but I could tell you looking back what God was doing to bring me to a deeper faith in him. And that's the beautiful part of it. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but I know that if I trust him, he holds the future. Abraham, Noah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, they didn't know what was going to happen tomorrow. But when they looked back, they could see how God brought them through whatever it was that they faced. You think of Noah. That was the first time it rained on the earth. And God's talking about build a boat. <coughs> and if you look at it, it was a square boat. We don't see boats like that. But God said, get in it. Take all these animals. I don't know what rain looks like, but he told me to build this, and he told me to get in it. And Noah did. He didn't know how long he was going to be in there. He had to send birds out two times to see if the water had abated, but he know looking back that God had saved him. And through water, God has saved us as well. Kept us from the evil people in this world. And we don't know when the punishment, the wrath of God is going to be fully taken out and fully in. But we know that if we are where God calls us to be, we are kept and we are going to see the life that only he is bringing 
those whom he promised a better tomorrow to. So we look back. We recognize what God did to bring us here. And we look forward through the lens of Jesus Christ. We don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. But we don't have to. All we have to know is that we are going to face it in faith. And we'll be okay. Now touching back to this present situation in our history. There's a lot of predictions that it's going to get worse in America because people have taken a lax stance on this invisible enemy. But we know we have an invisible God who is visible in our lives. So we don't have to worry about what's going to happen in this world. We don't have to worry about if God's going to keep us. We don't have to worry about if the grocery stores run out of food, if we, if, if we can't get the necessary supplies, if they're not available. Why? Because we have a God who can work through all of that for his people. All we have to do is look through these situations with faith. And it might get difficult. It might get hard. This life might not go back to what we were comfortable with in the past. But we will be kept by God in the future. If no matter what happens, we look at it through faith in Jesus Christ. We'll be all right. Because we're really not trying to set roots in this life in this world we are living to die to go to the next and no matter when we pass we know that if we're faithful we will all get to heaven as one with the very people we read about in the bible that helps us through difficult times because we see how their faith was brought to fruition. So I could look at the hard times in my life and I could see that in the days of Elisha there was a flood, I mean a famine, a drought for three years and God kept his people. I could look back. In the days of Abraham there was a famine as soon as God called him and God provided for him. He provided for him so much so that Abraham got riches when he went into Egypt. I could look at in the days of Joseph that his brothers who were supposed to show love to him showed hate to him and, and sold him into slavery and how God made him second in command of the most powerful nation in the world at that time because he kept faith through it all. And so I, so we, so the church can look at in the days of coronavirus, there are people forsaking God because they're trusting more in science. And they're trying to save themselves so that they can live a little bit longer in this life. Almost in defiance of being faithful to God to be with him in the next.
my brothers and sisters, we're going to continue to live in faith, and we're going to continue to live wisely, trusting that God is really bringing us to where he wants us to be. The hard times that we face is just molding us, disciplining us, so that we can be better. And we'll be in heaven when it's all said and done. The message is yours. I'm not sure where that leaves you. Just trying to encourage us. Just trying to remind us that God is calling us to something other than this life. And sometimes this life causes us not to see that. But if we look at Jesus Christ and focus on him, we see through all the haze, the fogginess, and all the distractions of this world, and we're reminded what we're called to and we're compelled we're empowered by the spirit to live out that calling no matter what else is going on around us because our hope is not in this life it's in heaven and God's going to bring us there together as one I'm not sure where that sermon leaves you My prayer is that you will contemplate it and incorporate it into your Christian life. If you're not a Christian, I ask, what's stopping you? God sent his son Jesus to freely extend the gift of salvation to all who will follow him. To get that salvation, one must follow the example set out in scripture. The book of Acts, which details the church's beginnings and expansion, shows us biblical examples of those who were saved. A good place to look is in Acts 2. You get Peter preaching the first gospel sermon in the response of those who heard and believed his message. They repented and were baptized, which added them to the church Christ established. The Bible only teaches of one church. If you want to be added to it, go to your local church of Christ and tell them your desire to be washed of your sins and to live a godly life. Study your Bible, put its teachings to practice, and you will make heaven your home.